0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: I really need something to eat. With this situation
2: going on, it's, uh, you know, it's too much. But at least we have somebody that's feeding us and giving us food. New tonight, President Trump signing an executive order to keep meat processing plants open amid growing concerns about the nation's food supply.
3: We've been hearing a lot of things lately about how the pandemic is affecting our food supply chain. We have seen lines of cars, sometimes for miles, waiting at food banks.
0: And, you know, we're hoping that the line isn't tremendously past 2000. We know where we're going to cut off and hopefully uh, get everybody as much food as we possibly can.
3: With millions of Americans newly unemployed, more and more families are turning to soup kitchens or food pantries to get by. And then you hear something like this.
1: Our hogs have been backing up for over four weeks now. Um, We're exhausting, you know, every plan, every resource to prevent farmers from having to euthanize our hogs. So we're definitely in a terrible situation of peril right now, and we're asking for help.
3: That was Jen Sorensen of Iowa Select Farms talking about the possibility of having to kill hogs because farmers can't maintain them anymore. The National Pork Board is estimating that one and a half million hogs will have to be killed in the coming weeks. So what's going on here? while well, three of the country's largest pork processing plants are closing indefinitely because of outbreaks in the workforce. Together, these plants make up about 15% of pork production. Because of this, the CDC has issued new guidelines to ensure the workers' health and safety, including setting up barriers between workers, staggering shifts, and making sure everyone is working at least six feet apart. The country's largest meatpacking union estimates that 20 workers have died of the virus and at least 6,000 additional members have been impacted by it. Tyson's largest plant in Waterloo, Iowa, is linked to almost half of that county's cases. There are obviously significant health concerns. But this week, President Trump still signed an executive order compelling meat processing plants to remain open.
0: Meat processing plants in many states have now closed after outbreaks. Tyson, we're told, was planning to close 80% of production. The CEO says the food supply chain is breaking.
3: That's a phrase I've heard a lot these days. The supply chain is breaking. And today I want to find out exactly what that means. I want to know if I can still get beef and pork at my local grocery store. And why can't we just have the farmers send excess food or product directly to food banks. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's Chief Medical Correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. For today's episode, I've asked national correspondent Diane Gallagher to share her expertise. She's been covering the food and agriculture industry for the network. And joining Diane is Julie Niederoff, Associate Professor of Supply Chain Management at Syracuse University. Together, they're going through the country's food supply chain, link by link, from farmers to food banks, to answer the question, is the food supply chain breaking? And what does that mean for you? Here's Diane.
1: I wanna cut straight to the chase here because I think that everybody has been concerned about what they're hearing. When they hear food supply chain, they think, oh my goodness, what does this mean for me? So Julie, are we running out of meat?
2: No, no, not anytime real soon. So we don't need to go panic
1: buy and stock up on 40 pounds of meat in a, in a freezer somewhere.
2: No. Grocery stores are saying that they're not having any trouble finding meat. If it becomes a problem for them, we'll know. Are we likely to see a limited variety and a
1: changing selection of meat over the next few, however long this is going to go on?
2: Yes, there will definitely be an impact. Um, you know, if nothing else, we're going to see less of certain brands because we know that those particular locations are closed. Um, and if that's the one that you really like, if that's the the cut that you really like, um, that might be a little harder to find until they get back up online. We're We're down 25% in pork and 10% in beef. And that is a completely different thing than being completely out.
1: I kind of want to start from the beginning. The food chain is vulnerable. The food supply chain is vulnerable, but no. it's as A whole not in crisis, but there is a segment of it that is on the brink of, if not already in crisis, and that's at the very beginning of the food chain. Right? If we walk through this, we're talking about the farmers here. What is it like to be a farmer right now, especially a, a livestock farmer during this pandemic?
2: It's a big risk. The farming is always a bit of a gamble. A farmer depends only on himself and the land and the weather, and unfortunately, the way our food supply chains, our food industry has developed over time, the farmers bear the majority of the risk and get a very, very small cut of the profits. This particular issue is hurting them because if they can't sell their meat at normal market prices... um, that market price starts to drop. They're already getting a pretty small return per animal. Um, typically, you're looking at four or five, six hundred dollars to raise an animal, and you sell it for six, seven, eight hundred dollars. So you're only looking at two or three hundred dollars profit. Um, if that price starts to drop, and that little bit of profit that they were supposed to be getting per animal is gone, they're talking about potentially having to euthanize upwards
1: of seven hundred thousand pigs a week if they can't get the supply chain straightened out.
2: Right. Why? Yeah, they they need a place to be. We can't overcrowd the barns. Um, most of the barns are heavily utilized because it's a big fixed cost. So now all of a sudden we have animals who are, they're, they're not moving out um, and more animals are potentially coming in. Um, but even if they're not, the animals are still there. They're getting bigger. They need more space. It's
1: hard to kind of compute those images, though, of, of, of people talking about meat shortages, and then hearing about 700,000 hogs a week that may potentially have to be euthanized and not used for food, but potentially turned into fertilizer or disposed of somehow.
2: So yeah, I mean, unfortunately, just having someone um, bring a pig to the grocery store doesn't fix the problem, right? We need those middle stages. So um, we have it in one form and we can't quite get it to the other form. And so what are you going to do?
1: If we kind of continue on this road down the food supply chain
2: here, We have the farmers. When it leaves the farm, where does the food go from there? So pretty much all food goes from the farmers to some kind of processing, but animals have to be um, slaughtered and prepared to go to um, whatever packaging or butchering facility is going to prepare it into the cuts and styles of meat that we like. And and milk has to go through pasteurization and um, homogenization processes. And almost all of that processing has some level of um, either USDA um, or uh, FDA certification and um, testing and um, consumer protections, which are important. And so we can't just go from the farm to the consumers without going through those stages. Explain to me a little bit about why some of these plants are are
1: not, I guess, set up even to, to package correctly for grocery stores.
2: So I go to the store. I buy a pound of meat. It's labeled. It's in you know packaged for that one pound purchase, two pound purchase, something like that. Um, I buy twelve eggs. I buy a gallon of milk. Um, and so the stuff that comes through that processing plant is going to go through um, the packaging or bottling or containerization process um, to be put into those. Sort of manageable sizes. They have to have specific labels on them that include very specific information. Um, If it's going into the food service industry, the commercial food, so going into cafeterias and restaurants and um, these big bulk purchases, what they might do is they might make a 50 pound bag of cheese. They might make a six gallon bag of milk. Um, It's the same product. It's just not packaged in a sort of consumable way, Um, most people can't bring home a 25-pound bag of cheese and do something reasonable with that.
1: Why can't some of these large bulk packages of food just be sent off to these food pantries?
2: Most of them they can. So again, it comes down a little bit to... What the state by state laws are about how food has to be labeled. But it's been a little tricky because the regulations around labeling from the FDA and the USDA uh, need to be followed. And so, you know, nobody was quite sure how to go about doing that right away, um, what was allowed. And that's really the problem. If I've got milk on one side of the supply chain, yes, it could go through and it could then be somehow packaged and sent to the food bank. But somebody has to compensate the workers for doing that extra work. And, um, Unless we've got donors or federal dollars uh, kind of backing that process up, there's there's nobody who's just going to do it for the goodwill.
1: And and you mentioned the workers and I want to talk about them. Why are we seeing so many outbreaks at these meat processing plants? What is it about the conditions there that that make it so easy for this to spread?
2: So we know the things that help prevent the spread of the virus. And one of them is distance from other people. And that's not something that works very well in this environment. We're also seeing workers saying that they're not getting um, adequate PPE and they're not getting um, some of the other support that would make it a lot safer for them.
1: We've been told by several workers that social distancing, especially on the line, on the kill line, uh, that it's just very difficult for them to even attempt to socially distance, um, even once... These plexiglass dividers have been put in. So now we're here with these outbreaks that have happened. We have these plants shutting down because of uh, massive numbers of employees who are sick or who are calling out of work because they're afraid that they're going to get sick. I think when you're listening to this at home, the question I'm most frequently asked is, does that mean that my meat is okay? Should I be
2: concerned about this? Scientists have said repeatedly that it's not a foodborne illness, Um, and so there's no reason to worry that a employee who is sick is somehow going to um, pass that to you through the meat that you're now eating, days or weeks since it was um, processed. Um, the, The concern is for the employee. In what way could the federal government
1: help get rid of this bottleneck that we have going on right now with the meat
2: supply? If the federal government can find a way to help these plants open safely more quickly um, by offering loans, by offering um, resources to get these plants open um, in a way that is safe for the employees and their communities to still be able to work, um, then that would be um, an assistance to to fixing the supply chain problem. If they can get access to the necessary personal protective equipment, if they can get access to um, whatever it is that they need to get these plants operational sooner,
1: but more than anything, it sounds like you can't open facilities unless you have a healthy and safe workforce.
2: Yeah, no, and that's the problem, right? You can't force someone to be healthy. <laughs> you can't. You can't force someone to not be, not have this um, COVID nineteen. Right. So, if people are sick, um, demanding that they open the plant is not going to fix the problem. So, let's talk about food banks because. I think some of the most difficult images for
1: anybody to see are these farmers dumping milk, uh, plowing over their crops, hearing about, uh, you know, hogs that have to be euthanized, that can't go to grocery stores or to food banks. How do food banks get their food and why can't we get the food that is there to them? Where is the breakdown in the process?
2: Yeah, so a lot of the food that comes into food banks is actually procured um, through the USDA. Um, They will go in and sort of buy up leftover products from farmers um, and that keeps the farmers sort of protected. It provides sort of a backup market for those goods and then those can go into um, these uh, food banks. Other ways that food banks tend to get food is by grocery stores or uh, restaurants or whoever having leftover food
1: the state of Iowa has this new program uh, that they're debuting starting on May 1st called Pass the Pork, which is trying to link up uh, farmers with processors that are in operation and, and staying longer hours to try to get those immediately to people locally. But overall, this is not something we we typically see to kind of, I guess, sustain these food banks.
2: Yeah, we have a lot of um, rules and policies in place to um largely to protect consumers, um, you know, health and safety violations and, and making sure regulations are consistent within a state or across state lines. Um, but it really does create um, very rigid structures of how we can move things across different points of the supply chain. It sounds like factory
1: and farm and, and, and processing plant workers are the ones who, who really need the protection and the concern right here. It takes so many people just to put food on the table.
2: Right. So many people across so many states, very likely. Um, Your chicken might have come from one state and been processed in a different state and packaged in a different state and now shipped to you in a different state. But- Every step of that way is handled and um, performed by people, and often they are the people who are sort of uh, the most vulnerable within our society, the the most overlooked. That's really the vulnerability we've been seeing here. It's not that the companies are going out of business; it's that the people have gotten sick, right? It's the supply chain is at risk because the people within the supply chain are um, vulnerable, and that's. The challenge, um, they deserve to be able to stay healthy and go home and keep their families healthy. And so um, if we can't find a way to help them stay healthy, then we're we're failing them
1: and it sounds like at that point, that's when we will have serious problems with our food supply chain that if the if the human aspect of it uh, begins to to fall apart and falls apart to a greater level, that's when we're really talking about a crisis.
3: These days, I know a lot of people are more worried than ever about food and how we can feed ourselves and our families. It's important to remember that so much goes into putting food on our tables and that every step of the way, there are people involved in making that happen. And we need to be able to take care of them. If I've learned anything from how the nation's food supply chain works, it's that we can't leave anyone behind. That's the only way we as a country can ever get back on our feet. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.
0: Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like.